You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, I, I remember my little bro, he woke up in a cold sweat, the poor little guy. He was having a nightmare. And we were back in those days when you'd share a room with your sibling, as you had to, I did. And, and he woke up, his poor, curly, sweaty little head. Uh, he, was, he was absolutely petrified. He'd been having a nightmare. And, and when I asked him what was going on, he said, it's the number one, it's the number one. And I thought he'd gone a bit crazy. I thought he was sleep talking. And number four, number four is just as bad. Number four is just as bad. And he was just going nuts. And he eventually calmed down. And basically his nightmare was this, that the numbers one and four were chasing him around, trying to eat him, <laughs> as they do. I also heard that the plus sign... Uh, was also being a bit mischievous as well, but not as bad as one and four. And, and he was absolutely terrified of them there, and, and, and these numbers just kept chasing him in his head. Now, you think, that's a pretty crazy dream to have. Uh, but there was very good reason, because about three weeks prior, my parents had signed him up to a funny thing called Kumon, which I can already hear the groans of the people that have been through the same sort of therapy my brother later had to have. But Kumon was, this, um, Kumon was this mathematics coaching course. It was this system whereby uh, you went through all sorts of different exercises. See, basically, my brother was hopeless at maths. And so he'd gone to Kumon and it had it so drilled into him uh, that basically numbers one and four started chasing him around in his dreams. Now, <laughs> the principle here is, uh, welcome to the principle of overflow. <laughs> uh, what goes in must eventually come out. And we see it all throughout life, uh, whether it's math coaching or other sorts of coaching, as we'll see tonight, that uh, what you put in eventually shapes who you become. And so my question as we finish off this series tonight uh, is, do you have a system in place, a Kumon system, would you will, for the spiritual life, for the godly life? Is there a, a system that you submit yourself to that is actively shaping who you're becoming? And that's what we've been processing in this whole series has been that uh, really it started with a vision of what is possible in the life of God, that you could be a tree. Psalm 1, you know, uh, where you could be grounded, you could be steady, you could be stable, you could bear your own fruit in, in due season. Uh, the, 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 that was our hope and our prayer for this year, that it would be the best year yet for us. But in saying that, it would be a year in which we don't shy away from the tough things of life, but uh, we, we stand firm through the tough things of life. And with that had to come the intention to, to want to be like a tree. You've got to want to want to be a tree in that sense. And so uh, we, we talked last week about the way in which basically the way that God shapes us is to become the sort of people who naturally want to do what he wants for us. But there's a choice, and that's what we're going to get to tonight. There's a final piece to the puzzle that this whole system won't work if we don't work this through. Let's have a read from, from Psalm 65, verses 11 to 13. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to flick forward to John's gospel in chapter 8. Psalm 65, verses 11 to 13. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. Then in John chapter 8, verses 30, 31, basically. If you hold this to the words of Jesus, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth 
will set you free. I'm not sure if you're aware, February is the new January, apparently, according to the Daily Telegraph. Uh, I was reading this, it's been a year of getting resolutions together, it it became uh, even more apparent as my esteemed colleague and co-worker Michael Thomas and I were comparing our Christmas muffin tops. Um, if you don't know what they are, they're uh, you know, it's a sort of uh, it's the it's the fruit of the Christmas season, just expressed at the waistline. And uh, we we were doing that, and and our argument was, well, look, you know, it's been a big month in January. It, it starts now, okay? It start, we're we're really starting now, aren't we? Yeah, which is really good because um, the Telegraph reports that. Uh, retail giant Woolworths reports a 40% increase in sales of diet and sports food, drinks and supplements in February compared to its monthly average, putting it more than 30% ahead of January. In that sense, February is the new January for people delaying the start of their New Year's resolutions. Step Into Life has nearly 50% more people signing up for its outdoor exercise programs in February than in January. Make it the biggest month of the year, spokeswoman Linda Schleckner said. Now, um, why, is, why is this the case? Well, the tele- Telegraph goes on to say that human nature tends to be that people think because I'm not starting until February, I can have my holidays and be a little bit naughty. Right? And that's how we, that's how we all think. It's what causes muffin tops. You see, January's, January's are full of good intentions. Oh, look, I'm, I'm going to get started. I'm, go- I'm really going to get started, but I'm starting in February. And so that's why this article was saying it's not normally until the New Year's resolution diets actually begin after Australia Day. So I thought, perfect opportunity for us on this Australia Day weekend. It begins now. Right, Mikey? Now. Yep, that's cool. You see, January is full of intentions. We talked about intentions last week. And, and here's the thing with intentions. And look, unless there's someone or something to crowd in and cut across those intentions, then that's all that will ever remain. The benchmark always pushes on to another month and another month. Who's to say next year, the new March will be the new February? And we'll just push on and on and on. See, here's the thing. You need a system of obedience. Now, let me, let me front load the application for you guys tonight. When it, when it comes to your spiritual growth, to grow more and more like Jesus, I don't know, is, is, is January becoming the new February? I, I mean, is, has 2013 become the new 2012? I mean, have there been a whole host of things that you knew to be right and to be good and to be prepared for you that you put off because you never submitted to a system of obedience which brought that that deadline and that system into your foreground? Now, if, if that's the case, if you put it off, maybe, you know, maybe I've got a reason why. Let's try this on. Look, here's the thing. Uh, why are these two passages up together? They seem quite different, don't they? Psalm 65 talking about all the wonderful abundance of God. Your carts overflow with abundance. It was the very verse from which I got the concept of this entire series. King David, they believed to be the writer of that psalm, is talking about a period in which Israel had received extreme abundance with God in a time of drought in which harvest shouldn't have happened, but they did. And he's saying, you're incredible, God, the way that you provide it. And you see, from an Old Testament perspective, all the good things and all the great things, all the abundant things in life were often linked to the obedience of the nation. There's always a clear linkage between obedience and the blessing of God in the Old Testament. 
And so in that sense, we can see that, that God's blessings often overflow from obedience, but we can, we can go down the wrong track pretty quickly. Uh, you see, this second passage, though, when we see the words of Jesus Christ, radically changes the nature of how we relate to the law of God and the obedience of God in that sense. You see, Jesus Christ here is the one that says, if you are my disciples, you will obey my teaching. Now, disciples means a student. It's really good for our youth here because they're thinking we're, we're disciples. But, you know, disciples in our sense, you know, we, we think student here. Let's be real, guys. Student here is from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. after you've gone via, you know, various cafes on the way to Macquarie University. Um, you know, students here meaning school books from 9 till 3 because you have to be there. Student in, in the biblical language meant all of your life came under the guidance and the instruction of the teacher. Now, here's why it's so important tonight, the view of the passage through the lens of Jesus. Here's the thing. Until you see that obedience, the one that Jesus demands, is a matter of personally dealing with him like a teacher, then you're not going to understand the nature of Christian obedience. Look, let me explain. Look, here's, here's a book here. Here's a book. In fact, this is a book with all the laws of God in it. This is a book with the Psalms in it. This is a book with all the different laws we've been talking about for the past three weeks in it. And, but, but I picked the book up. And if I put it back down, it, it, it doesn't call me back to it. It doesn't ask me to do anything. It doesn't, doesn't place any demands on me in that sense. A book's a book. And so I, I pick it up whenever I want. But here's the amazing thing. When we now look, we've been looking at the laws of God from the Psalms. Now we look at the laws of God through the lens of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. He's a person. And how do you relate to a person? A person's a higher order of being than a book, right? You know, a person has the ability to get in your face and tell, tell you to do certain things and, and to make sure that you pick up your clothes and, and do all sorts of stuff. It's why we have the wonderful institution of marriage in that sense. Because we, we see you know, in relationship that you need to surrender your will what you want to do to the needs and the desires and the wishes of that person in order for there to be right relationship. So here's a question. How do we relate to God then? How do we relate to these laws of God when we see that in Jesus, God is a person? Well, that's what's happening here. That's the difference between the Psalms and Jesus. If God was just a set of rules, you could hear him tonight and you could walk away from him. And you pick him up wherever you, whenever you want him. And they're a nice, cool... A little kitschy phrase on the back of your bathroom door or on your iPhone or your screensaver. But when these laws become enacted in a real person, someone who calls you to something, you know what Jesus is doing? He's cutting across your will. He's saying, if you are my disciples, you'll really obey my teaching. That's what obedience is, to allow someone or something to cut across your will. And you're going, oh, come on, that sounds oppressive and that sounds, you know, that, that, that sounds stifling. Why would we do that? Well, we let people do that all the time. We call them coaches. We call them personal trainers, right? We, we, we have that all the time. And when God calls for absolute obedience, you know, we, we get scared. We get, you know, we, we get scared about that. You know, we think, here's what we think. What if he asks me to do something that I don't want to do? Of course he's going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. <laughs> of course he's going to do that. That's what coaches are there for, right? Look, it's, it's tennis. It's tennis season, isn't it? 
And I thought I'd use a tennis analogy just for the other half of the church that's not here tonight when they listen to it on the... No comment, no judgment there. Uh, it's great, great to see you guys here. But let's, let's, let's maintain the tennis theme, seeing as the final is just about to start. But imagine you know, our, our favourite tennis player at the moment, Bernard Tomic. You know, he's the real superstar. He's the next Rod Laver, apparently, the, the, the next Roger Federer. Imagine, imagine Bernie goes up to, to, to Federer's coach and he, and he says, you know what, I, 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 want, I want you to be my coach. I want to come under your system of obedience. I, I want to be the best player in the world. You coached Rog to that level. I want to be the same. And the coach says, fine, we'll sign up to my system then. Uh, you know, uh, but, uh, but Bernie says, no, yeah, okay, uh, coach, I like that, but can you please not ask me to do anything that I don't want to do? I'm, I mean, I, I want to keep my milkshakes and I, I want to sleep in and I want to keep driving really, really fast. <laughs> but, but please, please, coach, don't, don't ask me to do anything that, that, that I, don't, I don't want to do. You think, that he, you think he's going to agree to that? Of course not. He's going to go, no, of course not. I'm going to train you into the ground. I'm going to make you run up and down that baseline. I'm going to make you hit shots. I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely pulverize you when you want to quit. And, 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 and I'm going to push you to places that you wished you weren't going. But here's the thing. I'm a coach. And if you give yourself to me, I will make you into the best tennis player in the world. Guys, you must submit to Jesus and his system. Because he's the ultimate coach. Federer's coach just deals with tennis. But who, who deals with, who's, who's a coach for the soul? Who's, the, who's, who's your coach that can take every aspect of your life, from your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and, and the pains and the ailments and, and, and bring all that into something that is wonderful and beautiful? You see, whenever Jesus calls you into obedience, guys, you've got to understand that when we come up against these things that we don't want to do, it's not because he's trying to kill our joy. It's because he promises us that if you're willing to come under his teaching, he's going to call you into an adventure and he's going to call you into a joy and he's going to call you into a level of personal fulfillment that you would never have experienced if you hadn't have come under his coaching strategies. Look, here's the thing. Whether it's a diet, whether it's tennis, whether it's medicine, whether it's mathematics, whether it's butterfly collection, for all that matter. You know, no one has ever achieved greatness in their field without submitting to some regime of discipline and obedience. You guys know this. Some of you know it in your careers. And here's the thing. Do you expect the Christian life to be any different? Can't you see a coach, a personalized system of obedience that you submit to is there in order to bring out your best? Now, here's the tension. Jesus is our great coach. And, and some of you tonight might be thinking, I want that. I want that coach. He's better than Federer's coach. I, I want that sort of coach. But here's the thing. A, a system of obedience counteracts the problems of intentions. We talked about intentions last week. And, and, and one of the big problems of intentions, here's the first one straight off the top of my head, is, is the systemic pressure of the world around you. You know, my, my dad... Always used to say to me, son, if you want to soar like an eagle, then don't fly with the geese. Now, when you're four to five years of age, that's a little bit mysterious, but I eventually got it. And funnily enough, that parallels to how you can often read the Bible. <laughs> when you're spiritually immature, you can read stuff for Jesus and it makes no sense at all. 
But trust me, if you, if you stay with it, 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 it will. It will make sense to you in the long run. But look, here's what Dad was saying to me. He's saying, you often become who you hang around. Why do you think we talk about community so strongly in this place? Why do we have retreats for? Because you become like who you hang around in that sense. Look, let's, be, let's get statistical. What, we're going to spend an hour in church tonight? How, how many hours are you going to spend at work this week? 30, 40, 60 for most people that live on the lower North Shore? <laughs> one, in, one, in, one in 60 and, 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 to, and to think that just by turning up to church, we are sort of going to mysteriously change. What about how many hours you're going to spend at uni or at school? You, know, you spend 40 hours at school. Look, here's, here's the thing. That our formation, who we become, is dictated more by our surroundings than you actually realize tonight. Who you're hanging around with is who you become. Look, how else do I put it? You, you, you won't change personally. It, into the likeness of Jesus Christ any more than a Corolla will change into a Porsche just by sitting in a garage. You won't become any more like Jesus than a Corolla would do by simply sitting in the garage in that sense. And so what it means for us guys is that, that, that we actually have to take intentional steps to be more like him. Now, how, how could we do that? As Dallas Willard says, it's by exercising your first Freedom. You know, your first freedom is where you allow your thoughts to dwell. It's the first freedom that God gives you in that sense. The first freedom is, is, is when someone talks you down, when someone disses you. Right? That's for anyone under the age of 20 here tonight. If someone disses you, if someone bags you, are, are you going to look at yourself in the mirror or are you going to look to the word of God? Are you going to look in the mirror or are you going to dwell upon the great statements of identity that he places upon us in this wonderful book. If, if your circumstances are just about beyond bearing, <laughs> are you constantly focused on the, the pain and the suffering that sits around you rather than the, just the small, tiny pieces of blessing that God is exhibiting in your life? The first freedom you have is where you allow your thoughts to dwell. And so in that sense, you may come against the pressures of the world around you but you always have the freedom wherever you sit to dwell on the things of God, the wonderful vision of God. Look, how else do I put it? Look, the thoughts are just the first step. But I don't know if you've ever had this experience, particularly for you gym junkies, but I used to be a Fitness First member. That's why February starts now, right? Like, like yeah. Yeah, I used to be. I used to go to the gym all the time, and and I don't know if you if you're a gym junkie, you've experienced this. But one of the funniest things I always used to love was to see the sort of people that uh, would come into fitness first, and they got their water bottle, got the Gatorade in the water bottle, um, they got their you know brand new Nikes on, and got their tights all the way up there. And this is just a few of the guys, and um, and they got towel around their neck, and 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 uh, you'd watch these certain people. They'd sit on the end of the bench, and there'd be a big machine with with all these heavy weights, and they'd select the heaviest weight and then they'd turn to their friend and they'd start talking for about half an hour. And I haven't even broken into a sweat and they'd, then they'd move to another machine so you could sort of have the illusion that, whoa, I'm really working out here, man. And they'd go and take it to the heaviest weight, put there, sit at the end of the bench and start talking to another friend again. <laughs> you see, it was... Now, needless to say, they weren't the largest people in the gym because here's the thing, unless you make the choice to engage, there's no change. 
unless you make the choice to engage, there's no change. Look, and here's the thing. Sometimes, and this is what I love about our generation, where we're enthusiastic. We want to change the world. We want the justice of God to pour down on this city like nothing else. We want, we want our church life to go crazy. And yet, maybe sometimes we can treat church like the benches at Fitness First. We walk from one side of the room to another. And the weights are all loaded up. And the Bible's there and the intentions are huge. And the towel's around the neck. And we look like we're doing the job. And there's no change because we're choosing not to engage. Guys, the, the project of inner transformation, of being more and more like Jesus, it, it never really happens by accident or drift. I mean, that's the revelation that I've had this week, is that spiritual growth is primarily not a spiritual process. It, it actually requires effort and choice to be like, more and more like Jesus by engaging in his word and finding out what his life is like. And what it means for each and every one of you tonight, each and every one of us, myself included, is that we're, we're responsible for our own growth. You're responsible for your own growth. I'm not responsible for your growth in this place. Graham's not. Mikey's not. The team's not. You're responsible this year to become the sort of person that we talked about in week one, the sort of person that has roots that goes deep into God, the person that's, that's steadfast. And when we have a bunch of individuals who come together on a Sunday like that, who are firm and resolved and wise regardless of their age, then great things start to happen. But each of us is responsible for our own growth this year. Look, another way I could put it. Some of you may not know, I've shared this before, but some of you might not know that I'm actually trilingual. I, I try and speak about three different languages. Yeah, dad, dad joke number 35. Thanks, Elio. Eight weeks and that will be ratified. Um, yeah, look, you know, I, I see Elio there. I, I've always wanted to speak Spanish. But you know what? I've never picked up a Spanish book. I've never listened to a Spanish podcast I've, I've, I've never gone to a Spanish lecture, and yet I still really intend to speak Spanish. Now, we might laugh the thought that I'm going to become a fluent Spanish speaker just by thinking about it, or just by hoping that it might happen. But look, here's the thing. Is it possible that we treat our spiritual life exactly the same way? Oh, I, I hope I'm going to be more loving this year. I, I hope I'm gonna. I, I really think I'm gonna be less angry this year. I, 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 I really think I'm gonna serve more this year. You're just being trilingual. <laughs> Look, here's here's the thing. What 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 do we do with the gap? <laughs> you know that that I, I I know I know this is where I want to be under the master coach, but I know my intentions are getting caught up. Where do we go next with this? And here's the thing that that we not only see um, this wonderful process playing out, uh, the the problems of of these intentions that we want, but we see here that the, the counteract counteracts the in, intentions through the power of disciplines. The system counteracts your intentions through the power of disciplines. Have we got any piano players here tonight? Just a show of hands. Anyone plays the piano here? Got Yeah, one there. Anyone else? Yeah, we've got one up there. If you could just see Michael Thomas at the end of the service, um, our worship team is, really needs some help this year. <laughs> that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the point. I, you can tell who the regular Northsiders were because I know you play piano and you didn't put your hand up. <laughs> or Mikey might see. <laughs> uh, 
But here's, here's my question to the piano players here. Could you play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony if we got you up right now? You? <laughs> We've got a big no over there. Yeah, Belt, you couldn't do it. That's right, just stick to the paddy chords. You know, emotional music, it's good. Um, you know, I'm much the same. I played a bit of keys myself. Um, but if, if, I, if I went to go and play Beethoven's Fifth, it would sound like a disaster tonight. But I'm sure Michael Thomas, he's getting a lot of mentions tonight. I'm sure he could probably play it, play it if he wanted to. He could probably sight read it if he wanted to. And here's the thing, look, you know, if you're a piano player here tonight, is it still possible that you could play Beethoven's Fifth? Of course it is. What would be the first thing that happens? Mikey gets you on the piano, C, D, E, F, G, dun, 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 dun. And scale by scale by scale, you begin to practice until your fingers get sore. You begin to restrict yourself. You begin to get coached by the music teacher. You move into a system of obedience through discipline. And you play scales over and over again until you move into intervals and the intervals sound like the music and you play the first section and the second section and before you know it, the excitement and the buzz of this wonderful music and this freedom that you've stepped into is a result of everything that you had ever submitted yourself to. Now guys, that's what disciplines are. They're an activity that you can engage in now, scales, that enable you to do what you cannot do by direct effort. You can't play Beethoven's Fifth now, but it's possible if you engage in a discipline. Dip, discipline. Look, in other words, disciplines are the things that help you um, do the things that you want to do but you can't do right now. And this is where it all moves in, this system of obedience. When we read the demands of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do not even get angry with your brother or sister. Forgive freely. Love your enemies? We think they're motherhood statements that he's just saying, you know, because you just got a bit overexcited. No, you know what they are? They're the various stanzas, they're the various phrases of Beethoven's Fifth, the great symphony of life that Jesus Christ has planned for you. And he says, if you will just begin to play the scales and the training regime that I've played out for you, then there will be a moment of great freedom when someone cuts you across in the traffic that you no longer swear at them, but you pray for them. There will be moments in which someone who has hurt you deeply, no longer do you harbor anger and bitterness and resentment, but you forgive freely. Friends, what, I, what I'm trying to say here, guys, is that the life of Jesus is like Beethoven's Fifth. You can get there. If, if, and if it's true for the worldly life, playing the piano, don't you think it's true for the spiritual life? <laughs> and if that's the case, what are the scales that you could play this week? We call them the spiritual disciplines. And I won't uh, go into them in great detail. Things like prayer, things like solitude, things like silence, confession, study and meditation, service, worship is a discipline. Being here is a discipline. Now, all of these things, you, you want to read books by a Dallas Willard or a Richard Foster, you go look them up on Kurong, they'll, they'll guide you through this process. But here's the thing, unless we begin to engage into the very scales that lead us to the life of Jesus, then we'll still just be tinkering. We'll be playing spiritual chopsticks, won't we? See, that's what this series has always been about, guys, this principle that the more that you become enthralled with the vision of the wonderful life of God, 
The more you want to follow him, the more you want to be shaped by him, the more you want to live life intentionally. You're going to start doing little things with your work week. You're going to start switching things around. You're going to live differently. You're going to give up certain activities that you you know that aren't helping you be the sort of person that Jesus wants you to be. Like Call of Duty, Black Ops. Like video games, like PS3. All these things that that I've learned in recent times. (laughs) But here's the thing. Look, here's other examples if you're not a gamer. Maybe... Maybe, maybe you'll give up a, a shopping trip to give up the things, items that, look, you really don't need and you practice the discipline of frugality. Instead of watching TV, you choose to read the good book or a book that's good that would speak to you through the disciplines of study and meditation. Maybe you in- intentionally take a pen to the doctors so you can write a letter to someone at church who is really struggling. Instead of reading magazines about the Kardashians and what their latest outfit or line of perfume might be this year. Maybe you, you make an effort to arrive at church early, 15 minutes before, just in the prayerful hope that a total stranger that you've never met before turns up. You give them an Acts chapter 9 welcome the way that Ananias did to Saul and engage them in a community that changed their life. Maybe you chose when you didn't feel like it and it's rainy and the air conditioning's broken to worship with people that you would never ordinarily do life with through the discipline of worship. Friends, all of these, look, you know what these, you know what these are? You know what these are? There is training regime. It's your tennis court. It's your, all of these things are the funny ball machine that's firing stuff at you so you can learn how to get your spiritual stroke back together. That's what the great teacher is doing. Individual growth through prayer and solitude and meditation. Corporate growth through worship and community and service. All of these things are coming together so God can shape you who he has designed you to be through the person of Jesus Christ. And why should we? Because in verse 42, listen to what he, what he says to the people he was talking to at the time. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I've not come on my own, but he who sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? You know, this guy that we're talking about, I'm not talking about some cool spiritual teacher. I'm not talking about someone who's just the movement of some new fad regime around happiness or how you could best improve your life. I'm talking about the man who is the son of God. The very God, the creator God that we talk about in this universe. That if you dare to believe his impossible power that Michael talked about tonight is the very God that formed you in your mother's womb before you ever knew him. He sends his own son to come down and to coach us and to show us the way that all of our life could be brought together to live the best way possible. Here's my question for you tonight. It's real simple. Are you giving Jesus Christ, the master coach, the same authority in your life as you're giving your gym coach, your personal trainer, your lecturer, your school teacher? Are you you giving him the same sort of authority that you would give them? Christianity is a system of obedience that counteracts these intentions through the power of disciplines. And so four application points real quick. Number one, which discipline appeals to you? Pick it and go with it. Go with it this week. If it's silence, turn off the TV. If it's solitude, go for a bushwalk. If it's worship, then come back next week. I'd be more than happy to support you in that one. 
Here's the other one. We, we choose to change. Like I said before, let's, let's not be a church full of those fitness first type, if you know what I'm saying. Let's not sit on the end of the bench. Let's not load the weights up and pretend that, yeah, man, I'm really going to get into this this year. <laughs> Got the towel and everything. A change in, in Christian life. You know what I'm coming to realize is, is not so much of a spiritual exercise as, as it is your choice this week. The other one, our time often shows us what we value most. Do an inventory of your time. Where do you spend most of your time? How are you spending your time? How does God rate in all of that? Here's the fourth one. How are you using your first freedom? Some of you tonight could have been coming into this place with all sorts of thoughts that are racing through your mind. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be given to you. Oh, how you and I know that we worry about what we'll eat and what we'll drink and what we'll wear. Our first freedom is to focus on him and say, yes, Lord, I choose to look at the bigger picture that is going on in this universe right now. How are you using your first freedom? Look, let me close with this. I want you to imagine you're at the doctor's surgery. You go to the doctor. You say, doc, I don't, I don't feel too good. And so she, uh, she prescribes two pills every day. No lollies. Uh, eat three vegetables and walk uh, one kilometre every day. And you walk out with the, res- the prescription in your hand. It looks fantastic. You turn to the reception and you say, she is, she's a gem. She is fantastic. She is just, oh, I love her. She's just, she makes me feel so good every time I come here. She's just, and the receptionist says, I know, she's the best in her field. And the next day, you, you take one pill instead of two. You sneak in a lolly. You only eat one vegetable. You only walk half a kilometre. This will do, you say. And and besides, look, I know myself better than the doctor does, right? And a week later, you go back. You're not feeling too crash hot. And the doctor says, how are you feeling? And not so good, you say. Oh, dear, the doctor says. You know, that's really funny because I've been doing this for 30 years. And what I usually prescribe helps. Um, Sort of, you say, like, what do you mean? Like, what what, what about the the pills? Oh, well, I only talk. One of them. Well, what, what about the lollies? Well, I didn't really get rid of them. I kept eating them. Well, what about the vegetables? Uh, I only had half of that. <sighs> Tell me, the doctor says, do you want to get well? Of course. You say, of course. Well, did you walk a kilometre each day? Uh, no, I only walked half. The doctor says, don't you trust me? Don't you have faith in me? Of course. You're the greatest doctor I know. You make me feel amazing. You're just incredible. You're the best in your field. I know uh, my receptionist told me what you thought of me. If I'm the greatest then, then why don't you trust me? Oh, I do trust you. I do trust you. No, you don't. Well, how can you say that, Doc? Because you did not do what I told you to do. John eight twenty one. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free.